Welcome to the Say Yes to Holiness podcast. I'm Christina Simmons, your host, and thanks for joining me today as I seek to inspire, encourage, and accompany you on the journey towards holiness by sharing food for the head, heart, hands, and feet, so we may grow closer to God, become more like Jesus, and through friendship, discover the life God created us for, lives of purpose, peace, and abundance, rooted in the hope that with God's grace and mercy, we can become the living, breathing, wonder-working saints that the world so desperately needs. Hello and welcome to episode 185 of the Say Yes to Holiness podcast. This is Christina Simmons, your host, and today's conversation is with Katie Herzing, who is a speaker who did a OSV talk. So our Sunday visitor has a whole slew of talks. And if you're not aware, go to osvtalks.com and you'll find a bunch of speakers who uh, talk about, uh, it's like a TED Talks for Catholic uh, space. But anyway, um, Katie herself did a talk about creating positive change in parishes. And of course, I was intrigued because of my own work um, and my other project that I have, the Catholic Leadership Puzzle uh, on Substack. If you just go to the CatholicLeadershipPuzzle.com, you'll be able to find that work. But uh, Katie is not just a thought leader and leadership coach and a parish strategist, and that's how she was asked by OSV to come and to do this talk. But she really focuses upon what's necessary for teams of people to be able to work together, but also to be able to move the needle. In other words, to get a little bit closer towards where it is that they want to go. And all of that work has put her kind of on the front lines of parish organizational health. And she has some beautiful insights and recommendations that we really need to listen to because um, she's speaking about not just bringing about organizational change, but also how we can seek to make a transformational difference in our own relationships with one another, in our families, as well as within any organization we might happen to be a part of, like a parish or a workplace or any other you know type of group that brings people together. And we all know that there's always tension between uh, why have we always done this this way? We've always done it this way. Um, those kind of two competing perspectives of the, why are we doing it? And we've always done it. And Katie really breaks it down to the fact that change isn't something that we love or we hate. Rather, it's just we have different needs that have to be met so that we're able to respond positively to whatever is going on in our lives. So I hope that you really enjoy this conversation as much as I did and enjoy and see you on the flip side. Hello and welcome to the Say Yes to Holiness podcast. This is Christina Simmons, your host, and today I have a wonderful guest here with with me, um, Katie Hersing, and she is uh, someone who gave a talk for our Sunday Visitor, one of the OSV talks, and I was absolutely fascinated by the topic, um, but in particular um, about what it might mean for us, not just, you know, in parish ministry, perhaps, but for those of us who are trying to live out our life of discipleship. So I was really happy that I was able to connect with Katie and she was gracious enough to come on. So welcome, Katie. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. 
Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, we're going to be trying and be generous, um, you know, because you're, you're um, dealing with a little bit of a throat issue and you still were generous enough to come on. Um, but even so, I want people to know um, about uh, who you are, you know, so if you wouldn't share a little bit about your own faith journey and kind of how you got to be doing what you're doing today. Yeah, well, I'll start with where I am today. I live outside of Charlotte, North Carolina, um, in the Diocese of Charlotte. I've been here since 2008, so almost it'll be 15 years um, this summer, and and I've had an opportunity to work in parish ministry um, before I went to, I did work for our Sunday visitor, and now I work for a diocese, and the reason I decided to have a career in ministry was because I had a profound experience and encounter with the Lord when I was in high school mm -hmm. and in youth ministry. Um, we had these summer called Journey to Emmaus, like three-day faith festivals, I would say our diocese had started. I grew up in the Diocese of Erie, in Northwestern PA, and we would go to those summer festivals and youth ministry was the place where I felt like I belonged most. Um, I had the best relationships. Those were where my friends were. Um, I had this really just profound gift of faith where I knew the Lord and I knew that's where he wanted me to be with those people. I'd gone to public high school and this was an opportunity for me to really live my faith. And it was the group of people that I felt like I most connected with. And I can remember in my junior year speech class, giving a speech about you know, what do you want to do in the future? And I had said, if I can just change one person's life, then that's what I want to do. And I want to be a youth minister because my youth minister had a profound impact on me. Mm -hmm. And so I went to school, got my degree in theology um, at St. Vincent, which was a close connection to my parish. We're staffed by the Benedictines from St. Vincent. And it felt like home and, you know, one of their um, charisms is stability. And so it really felt like I really belonged there and I had a great experience um, with campus ministry and went to World Youth Day for the second time. I'd gone one time in high school and just an opportunity again to feel like I belonged in campus ministry. And so I wanted to continue to do that. Um, so I graduated with the intention of doing youth ministry. Um, and it was in 07 when um, no one was hiring for anything, let alone in the church and youth ministry. Um, so I spent a year uh, working at our county jail as a cook and working in a group home for teen girls, which I think is a job I could do now better than I could have done then. It was, mm -hmm. I was there for three long months and it was not for me. I wasn't good at it, um, but I, I learned a lot and I learned a lot about myself um, mm -hmm. before I packed up my bags for my first youth ministry job and I moved to North Carolina and have been here ever since. Mm -hmm. um, and so I started my career in ministry um, as a confirmation coordinator and a middle school youth minister. Then I moved across town and was a high school youth minister. And I got out of day-to-day -day ministry by becoming the office manager at that parish. And when I figured out what I was going to do next, um, rather than stay in one-to-one, -one, you know, single parish ministry, I decided to kind of branch out and help churches, particularly with their communication products. And that's what I started doing at our Sunday Visitor with um, websites and online giving, and then eventually helped to um, develop their strategic planning process that we called vision planning. And it was through the five years that I did that strategic planning that I began to understand more about the long-term impact in the parish and what the hurdles we were 
not jumping over and why we weren't achieving things. And it started with embracing websites and online giving, the number of parishes who said, you know, our people don't do that. <clears throat> yep. A lot of those parishes started doing that during the pandemic <laughs> because they realized mm -hmm. that they needed a way to take donations that was not operatory envelopes. Um, but it was being able to help people understand the small changes that they needed to make in order to do something different and something bigger. We had in the church have traditionally been more of like kind of a field of dreams thing. If you build it, they will come, right? <laughs> if we build our churches bigger, we people will come fill them. If we have more masses, people will attend them. If we have more formation, they will come and we don't really have to do anything mm -hmm. um, to make that happen. But we we live less a priest once described this in a letter in his plan we and I, I don't know that he came up with it but this idea that we don't live in the age of christendom anymore we live in right. the apostolic age mm -hmm. the age where the apostles had to go out and we had to be in places and i started that you know idea of evangelization with parishes that you people are online they're searching for churches the same way that they're searching for restaurants on yelp if you mm -hmm. don't have a presence then people don't know that you're there right. and we don't tend to really kind of take that into account or do something about that. And a lot of it is, and a phrase that I've heard over and over again, I'm sure you've heard it too in parish ministry is that's not how we do it here. <laughs> okay. We've that's okay. This way. <clears throat> right. Let's do it a new way. <laughs> like I'm not suggesting, and I would never suggest that the church turn itself upside down and do something completely different. When I talk about change, I'm not talking about a change to what we believe, or even how we celebrate mass or the way our parish is necessarily structured. It is the way we talk about what we believe, how we express to people, why are Catholics different from other people? Um, what kind of witness are we to the world? And I think about that in my own faith journey, you know, my own life of my my life doesn't really make sense without the church. My career doesn't make sense without the church because mm -hmm. it's been entirely in ministry in some fashion or helping people do ministry. Um, but really my life doesn't make sense without faith. Um, and I want people to know that not in a, I'm standing on a street corner with my bullhorn and, you know, pulling my Bible out. Like that's mm -hmm. not really the kind of evangelization that we're talking about, but we should be able to have conversations with people about faith and they should be able to see um, in our life the difference that the Lord has made and why that's important. And it two kind of stories, I guess I'll share a little anecdotes about this that have been made me like, okay, I need to pay attention uh, to myself and how I'm portraying myself to the world. But one of them was, I, I recently built a house. Um, and during that build process, I was staying with friends of mine, a husband and wife and their two kids. They were gracious enough to have me live with them for nine months, ended up being nine months. I moved in indefinitely because I had no home and I had sold my house, my previous house. Um, but one time, uh, the husband, a friend of mine, he just said, you know, I've actually never really been around a Catholic like you. And I was like, mm -hmm. tell me more about what you mean. He's like, yeah, like you don't just go to church on Sunday. Mm -hmm. There's more to it. And that's from somebody who grew up Catholic and was around a lot of people. And that's really interesting to me, a kind of how that is. How are we witnessing um, to other people and how do they see kind of what's going on? 
And then just a couple of months ago, I had a priest come up to me at my job now that I work for a diocese and say, how do you know all of these things? I said, what do you mean all of these things? He said, like all of these prayers and all of the songs that we're singing. And I said, well, I'm, I'm Catholic. That's how I know them. And a woman I work with, she's like, yeah, but not everybody knows these things. And so it's interesting to me, the things that we assume everybody else knows, or the things Mm -hmm. that kind of we presume. And in the church, we have a lot of inside baseball. You have to really know what's going on to know what's happening. Um, We don't do a lot of explanation. And I think those are the things that we have to change. That's where the church needs to change in the way we teach. But we as individuals have to get over the hurdle of talking about our faith, something that is personal, but isn't private. It's Mm -hmm. not behind closed doors. Um, Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, totally spot on. Um, You know, it's something of where... um, if our lives don't look any different than everybody else's, then we need to be asking the question of, am I really a disciple? Am I really following Christ? Um, Because everything should look different. Mm -hmm. But as you said, we don't communicate that. Uh, We we don't talk about that. And then in our current culture, especially to quote, speak of faith is almost like verboten uh, of you can't, and that's so untrue of where, when we truly are speaking of our faith, it's not, as you said, standing out on the, on the, on the uh, corner, but rather it's about sharing how it's made a difference. So like, for example, uh, we recently had to put our, um, our almost 12 year old dog down and, you know, it was time and, you know, it was something of, you know, we, we did that. And of course, you know, it was difficult, but afterwards it was something of where, you know, we had an errand and then we're like in the drive-through, um, you know, cause didn't feel like cooking food that night. Um, and so we went to get some food and as we're sitting there waiting in line, there is a license plate in front of us and it says, max x07 now for most people they just look at that and it's no big deal but our dog's name was max and it was immediately it was max is loving heaven mm. and i mean and, and it just brought comfort and it was just something of where you know i'm not going to get into the whole do dogs go to heaven and everything else like that it doesn't matter the fact is is that that gave me comfort and i know that our lord knew that I would need that comfort. And so, you know, no coincidence, you know, mm-hmm. um, but again, it's something of where, when you have eyes to see and you, and you see things differently, you hear things differently. Um, but the only way that that really happens is when we immerse ourselves in the life of the body of Christ, the life of church. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean we're always doing church activities, but rather we're living it out. And so I, uh, yeah. I totally understand what you're saying. Um, your talk, you really focused on, um, you know, the fact that you want to help parishes create positive change. And you talked about some of those changes already, mm-hmm. but, you know, what did you try to focus on in your talk to try and give people a few more ideas? Yeah. So in my talk where I'm talking about change and how people tend to, you know, and even I used to have this idea that either love, hate, I love change or I hate change. There's no, but the truth is that it's not something that we get to just love or hate. 
we have to change. It's inevitable. If we don't change, we don't grow and we don't really live. And so we have to change. We have to first change our mind about change, which is Mm -hmm. that something that maybe I struggle with more than other people. And I definitely do. So I, I use this, um, assessment that I learned about this called the change style indicator. And it's an assessment tool that's been around since I think the early 2000s, maybe late nineties, did a lot of research about the three different kind of styles or personalities of people with change. And so conservers, which is what I am, people who like things the way that they've always been, they like the current structure to remain the same way that it is, or mm-hmm. pragmatists who like really situational change or functional change, but they can really go other way. And then originators who love to blow up the structure and do something completely new. They just throw it all out there and are like, they don't really care about risk. They, they don't care that we used to always do it somewhere else. They're like, or someplace else or some way else. They're like, that's okay. We'll just do it a new way now. And so when we understand our initial, like our knee jerk reaction, then we can do something different. And mm-hmm. the way that the assessment talks about is that the populate the general population is about 25% conserver, 25% originator, 50% pragmatist. And I just said, when I did this, you know, I just did the initial training and I thought to myself, I think the church looks different than that. Mm -hmm. And then I use this in a diocese with 150 priests and lay leaders. And they showed up, it's like 50 or 60% conservative, 30 or 40% pragmatist, 10% originator. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because we love tradition in the church. It's Mm -hmm. one of our, we love capital T traditions of the faith. We also love small tea traditions yeah. of we've always done it this way. The chicken dinner has always been cooked by Sally Joe on the third Thursday of May. <laughs> and we sell it for $5 and we use these takeout containers. Mm-hmm. I was once at a parish and I said, they said, you know, we don't have our chicken noodle supper anymore. I had no idea. I still have no idea what chicken noodles are. I it's neither mm-hmm. here nor there. I said, Oh, why don't you have that anymore? And they're like, well, Joe used to do it, but she is, she's too old and she can't do it anymore. So she retired. I said, okay, well, can we teach someone else? She's like, no, we can't use a different recipe. And the new people don't want to use Joe's recipe. And so we're like at a standstill. And I Mm -hmm. thought, well, I don't know why people are complaining about chicken noodle anymore. Like we're choosing not to do something different. And that's such a, now Joe's chicken noodle recipe may be amazing. But it's just kind of a small thing. It doesn't really matter. But the, like I say those things and people kind of just laugh and whatever. Mm-hmm. But we have it about chicken noodle supper, but we also have it about mass times. Mm-hmm. If we have, you know, uh, an 8.30 mass and a 10.30 mass and a 12 p.m., you know, 12.30 p.m. mass. And instead we want to have faith formation in the morning. Our masses are a little bit lighter than we'd mm-hmm. like them to be. So they might say, well, what if we have mass at eight or nine and 1130, and then we'll have something in the middle, like we'll have faith formation or we'll have coffee and donuts or whatever. And people are like up in arms. It's as if you've, you have changed everything. We're like, we literally just changed the time you come to mass by 30 or 60 minutes. Mm -hmm. And we can't, you're like, everything in this church is changing. Well, only the mass time is changing. And the reason is for good reason. One, we want to have vibrant, full liturgies. And Mm -hmm. right now we have not vibrant and 
not very full liturgy. So if we take all of our people from three masses and we put them into two, great. Mm -hmm. And then we create community between those masses so people can get to know one another. They can learn more about their faith. Like this is really important. Mm -hmm. So why not do this? But that's not how we've done it before. I, my family has been going to the 830 mass since 1902 and we don't want to go to a different mass. <laughs> like, okay, we need to change our, we have to change our attitude about this. And the thing that I kind of focus on in the talk is number one, the church as staff and ministry leaders, we have to make logistical changes. We're not talking about massively overhauling everything. We have to start with the logistical changes so that we can make room for doing something new. There's no room in the schedule for doing something innovative, doing something really yeah. creative. And so we have to make room for that. And that it starts with logistical changes. It mm -hmm. starts with freeing up some of father's time, some of our ministry leaders so that they have time to do something different. Mm -hmm. um, and then we have to, explain those things and walk with our people through them it's a grieving process for them to do something different <laughs> just okay i'm not gonna be able to go to the 8 30 mass anymore i'm gonna grieve that loss or if it's the combining and merging of parishes that's happening all over the united states i'm gonna grieve the loss instead of hanging on to the end until the very very end when the building is collapsing i'm gonna go down with the ship Instead saying, we're going to do something different. So we're going to complete the mission of this church, close this church and have a new parish erected or pulling four or five churches together, two or three, whatever that might look like, um, because we're going to do something new. We're going to, we're going to be innovative here. We're going to get away from the fact that being Catholic is just about going to mass on Sunday where you arrive three minutes before and leave five minutes early. Um, yeah. We're going to do something different here. Yeah, I, I think, you know, and, and would love your kind of your commentary or, or your thoughts on what I've run into is that where people are living lives of discipleship, in other words, they're living close to our Lord, they have that daily prayer, they understand the idea of discernment um, in their own lives, and especially that idea of making space for the Holy Spirit there tends to not be as much resistance because it seems like there's this great trust that, okay, I'm not quite sure how this is going to work and I'm not exactly personally going to like it, but God's working and we got to make space somehow. So therefore, you know, let, you know, a former pastor of mine used to say, somebody has got to have the courage to make the call, i.e. it's DOA, you know? The doctor has got to say, you know, somebody's got to do that. And he's like, and if I have to be the one to do that, then I will. But it was a beautiful example of the fact of, but as long as we keep doing this, then time, resources, and energy are going towards something that isn't, you know, helping us, you know, move closer towards where God wants us to be. Yeah, it is. There are so many resources that we're expending on things that, are dead they're done um and we we need to do something different like we just need to take a step out in faith and be able to call on that and encourage yeah having the courage to do that most people don't and mm -hmm. they don't because the faithful the beautiful people of god then call them and complain or send letters 
instead mm-hmm. of saying, how can I support you in this? Mm-hmm. Um, they don't. And I, I read this thing online the other day about how this professor like asked all of his people to look around the room and, you know, at the beginning and say, look around and find all of the blue things. And then he has them close them, close their eyes. And then he says, okay, now open your eyes and write down on your paper without looking again, everything that's red in the room. And he said, you know, everybody gets so they're like, what? You had us just look for the blue things. And the person was continuing to write about how he talks about how when you are looking for God's presence and you think it only happens in the blue ways, Mm -hmm. you miss all of the red ways. You miss every other color. And I think we do that in the church. We think that the Lord will only move in the ways that he's moved in the past. And that is putting him in a very large box that I don't think our Lord fits into a box in any way. It's discounting all the other ways that he could move and the way that he is moving um, because we're really attached to how things used to be um, nostalgic for the past. Well, you, you uh, used the word, you know, right then of we're attached. Mm-hmm. And when you get right down to it, I mean, uh, church asks us to, you know, to deal with, you know, and to at least identify, become aware, understand, and maybe take action against our attachments, you know, every year, especially in Lent, for example. And, you know, but it's, we're attached because, you know, my personal opinion is because we think we're in control. Oh, well, I'm attached to all kinds of things (laughs) because I think I'm in control of my life. Yeah, that is absolutely. Or we just ask for, i I was really impacted by this. Somebody once said, I, you pray for clarity, but what clear, what you mean by clarity is just control about what's going to happen. You want to know exactly what the next steps are and not that clarity is not a thing to pray for, or, you know, Mm -hmm. um, but understanding your underlying motives, what, you know, I think sometimes we're also attached to our legacy and being known Mm -hmm. for doing something. Um, you know, wanting to feel like our life matters that I think we see all the time, just in general in the world. And so many of us are, you know, made our careers in church ministry. So I want my impact to last longer. You know, I was the parish that I worked at, we started this festival and so much of it was my idea that I brought to the pastor. Nobody was listening to me. I was the ops manager. It didn't matter. You know, my opinion was neither here nor there. But then he's like, we want to do this and told it to the people. And they're like, oh my gosh, it's the best idea. And I was like, great. I will like, I want to make that happen. But that was my idea, (laughs) you know, but like, okay, that's not, that festival is still happening. I've been gone for almost 10 years from that parish. Um, You know, it's okay that nobody knows that that was Katie Herzing's idea. Mm -hmm. Neither here nor there, it doesn't matter. I I think, I think you really nailed, you know, something there uh, about, you know, our desire to matter, to, you know, be recognized. Um, And I think also it's a part of this whole idea that if it, if we aren't recognized or if it doesn't continue, in other words, if it goes away, then that means that we have to. Or that we failed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Without realizing that no, I mean, it, th- so think about, for example, go back to the Middle Ages when they're building cathedrals and it's taking centuries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, could you imagine if the stone builder and the mortar dude were like, oh, well, they're going to build on top of this and no one's going to know that, you know, I, you know, and, and it doesn't matter. We, we wouldn't have 
the glorious cathedrals that we have. Oh my um, gosh, absolutely. You know, so many of our churches are built in one to two years in the estates oh anyway, right? Yeah. I think about like a place that I really want to visit, the Sagrada Familia in mm-hmm. Spain. And yep. that is a church that has been built, you know, the person who designed it, he's not here anymore. Like, right. right. So, and things have changed and his design has changed and new people with new ideas have tweaked it and done something different um, for future generations. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to something I used to say a lot when I was in youth ministry and helping youth ministers. And I know I use it with parish leaders is that we are in the seed planting business, not the tree growing business. We are mm-hmm. just planting seeds. For the future, I'm not here to see the trees grow. And I just, I told you, I just built a house and it's been really interesting the being the person who's taking care of all of the outside and yard and landscaping and, you know, weeds grow really fast and then Mm -hmm. they die out. They might fill in your yard, but they're going to be dead, right? Grass takes a long time to grow. Trees take a long time to grow. Today, I just planted two, what look like really dead peony bulbs like they are dried up now I just purchased them I'm certain that they're not right I put them in the ground I'm not going to have peonies this year there is zero chance of that happening right Right. um but I put them in the ground and I fertilize them and I water them and I'm gonna water these spots and it's gonna look like I'm crazy just watering pine needles for the Mm -hmm. next you know year um but I'm confident they're gonna come up next year that I'm going to have these beautiful bushes. Um, right. And if not, like I, they replaced three other bushes that I planted that were dead. I got them from a neighbor and thought I can revive them. I didn't revive mm-hmm. them. Now they're in the trash. Um, right. But it just takes time. But that's what we're doing in the church is mm-hmm. we're planting seeds and then we're watering them and we're fertilizing them. And, and then we'll see what the Lord does with them, not what we do with them. Yeah. And I, you know, I think too, if our legacy, when we get at the end of time, the Lord is not going to say how many fest, Katie, how many festivals did you plan? How many people came Mm -hmm. to the festival? How many websites did you start? He's going to say, how many people did you tell about me? Mm -hmm. That's it. All of that only matters in that it brings people closer to our Lord. Mm -hmm. And if it, that is not happening at an event that we're having, at a way we're doing ministry in the church and anything, then we need to change that thing because it's mm-hmm. not helping us achieve our mission. It's always about mission, isn't it? Um, and, uh, and Jesus reminds us uh, of that, uh, particularly uh, during uh, Easter um, and uh, at his ascension. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it's that whole reminder of, hey, go on and tell everybody and baptize them. Um, and uh, share that good news with them. So having been, you know, doing parish ministry and, and work, uh, you know, myself, um, we'd love to know, um, how has your journey been helping you towards holiness and becoming a, a, a more holy person? Well, getting back into parish ministry has been definitely a humbling and holying experience. Um, mm-hmm. I'd been out of parish you know, individual parish ministry for a while. And I've recently moved, moved across town and I changed parishes. And so I'm helping with our faith formation programming. So it's been interesting going from the person who used to manage all of that as the coordinator and now being one of the catechists and volunteering. Um, that's definitely a learning experience and be able to kind of do that, but to share um, my faith. And 
the other thing that's been really helpful is being able to hear and wit and hear the witness of other people of the things going on mm-hmm. in their parishes. How, oh, I never thought of that before, or, huh, that's a really interesting way of doing ministry that I want to share with other people. Um, and the kind of the piece or the idea that gets stuck in my mind a lot is the idea of bearing true witness. And I go back to the eighth commandment a lot. Thou shalt not bear false witness. So the opposite of that is thou shalt bear true witness. And we tend to think about that commandment as just don't lie or cheat mm-hmm. or, you know, steal other people's like intellectual property or whatever. But I think of it this other way of how can we bear true witness to how the Lord has changed us? How am I a witness to other people? Do people look at me and say, oh yeah, she's one of those Catholics? Or does she, do people look at me and say, like, I can see how the Lord is working. Mm-hmm. I can see her saying yes to the Lord. And my life, I've just recently had kind of a career change and I'm in the middle of transition and all kinds of things and saying yes to the Lord. And a friend of mine, you know, recently reminded me and she said, you know, you're really worried about what you do next and what will that look like? And, you know, all of those things. And she said, as long as I've known you, when you've changed jobs, things have just kind of, the Lord has opened doors and has fallen into your lap. It has been very simple. I have, I've gotten all, I mean, this sounds so boastful to say, and I don't mean it, but like, I've gotten every job I applied for until this situation. And even now the work that I'm doing with the diocese, like they came to me and they're very excited. And, you know, I didn't really even interview Mm -hmm. for this job. They had already known me and, um, and it's been very good, but the Lord has taken care of that. And she said, Mm -hmm. I'm not saying don't do anything. I'm not saying don't put any effort in. All I'm saying is the Lord opens doors. So wait for him to open the door. Mm -hmm. And I think that there are so many aspects of that in our life and that we I don't know, is it St. Augustine who said like, pray as if everything depended on God and work as everything depended on you? Is it him? Ignatius. Um, Ignatius, thank you. Yeah. Sorry, St. Augustine. <laughs> You've said many profound things. Um, <laughs> sorry, I forgot you, Ignatius. But yeah. this yeah. idea of we tend to just work as everything depends on us and we don't mm-hmm. we don't let the Lord work, but saying yes to that and and changing our mind about our own plans, about the way things should be in our life or the way that the Lord should work, um, rather saying yes to the opportunities to have conversations, to be open to that, mm-hmm. um, so that we can invite him in to the everydayness, mm-hmm. as well as the things that we do on Sunday or the things we do in the parish. Yeah. I, I love that uh, idea of um, looking at the Eighth commandment: Do not, do not lie. Um, as a, as a different way of being able to see it in the positive of bearing true witness, um, and uh, that's that's powerful. That's that's one I'm going to take with me. For you, what's been one idea or habit or maybe practice that's been key for you though in remaining faithful along your journey? Um, a few years ago, maybe five or six years ago, a friend of mine was telling her like Instagram following. She's a real life friend of mine, but I also know her online. Something that her dad told her about how a chapter a day keeps the devil away. And it was her Mm -hmm. kind of mission to read scripture every day. And so I did this challenge with her and we read the book of Proverbs every day in January, starting the year, and then did the gospels and then did the new Testament. 
And I think that scripture has been the thing, developing that habit of being a person who reads the scriptures every day. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I, so it's been five or six years and now I've gone, you know, many times over and do kind of different challenges with myself. And last Mm -hmm. year I read um, a chapter of the gospels every day and then just repeated over and over again. And it was very interesting to see how the Lord was speaking through these stories that I thought I knew or that I knew really well, um, but kind of opening them up in a different way and then being open to the ways that um, the scriptures can be interpreted differently of how we can kind of see these stories. And I see that through fiction. I see that through um, way that homilies like the deacon at our parish preached something very profound about um, the prodigal son and mm-hmm. how um, the son who stayed And I've always kind of thought, well, I never, I haven't left the church. Like I'm the one who stayed. And there's that line about how he says, you killed the fattened calf for your son who's been away, but you've never given me a calf to have with my friends. Not you and I have never celebrated with the calf, like, but I'm here. So what that means, I don't have to kind of go above and beyond with you. And I was like very convicted about that kind of in my own life. And then this past year, um, in uh, March, I had an opportunity to go to the Holy Land. And Mm. that has been like, wow, I'm listening to these events that happen in the scriptures. And then I've also been to that place, Mm -hmm. um, which has been really cool. Um, And in preparation for that, I'd watched The Chosen. And I was like, just really broke open all of these things of ways of seeing parables that I hadn't thought of before Mm -hmm. and kind of giving that. So I think reading the scriptures and not presuming that I've already heard these things, even though I took a college level class with, you know, someone about the gospels. I have, you know, many read many things, et cetera, but not presuming that I've heard all of the interpretations or I've, I've heard everything or seen everything kind of Mm -hmm. having fresh eyes. And that opportunity has been really changing for me. Uh, It's such wise advice and beautiful. And thank you. So I have to ask, because obviously you like to read. So if there was, you know, if you're on the desert island, what, what, you know, besides scripture, besides the Bible, you know, what, what book do you got to have with you? Oh, can I choose authors that I can take? Sure, you can, you can choose authors. Okay, well, I'll choose two. Is that okay? Okay, okay. I mean, because I'm, it's an imaginary and I can carry all the books that I want. I do read a lot of books. I like, last year I read more than 300 books in the, Wonderful. in the year and audiobooks and all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. But two of my favorite authors, one is this woman, her name's Kara Isaac. And she writes, um, I would say Christian fiction, definitely like a lot of it is set in either um, Great Britain or in Australia in the church environment. Um, And it's just like love stories and they're just really delightful and really thought provoking and um, like good. And then my other kind of favorite author, her name's Catherine Center and she writes um, love stories, but like women's fiction where, um, yes, she ends up with the guy at the end, but the guy is not the one who fixes her. She like has her own moment and kind of comes to her own, um, her own self. And I, I love books that I can kind of get lost and wrapped up in the story. Mm -hmm. And then I can learn a little something about life or, you know, just human nature. Um, and I think that, you know, we can apply those things to faith, mm-hmm. even though faith like Catherine's books are have nothing to do with faith, but I think we can apply that life. And I also love um, exploring hard topics in scripture or not in scripture, excuse me, in fiction um, in scripture too, but 
in fiction because we can really dig into these characters and be critical of them without being critical of a person um, and kind of have this idea of, you know, how would I talk to somebody who's experiencing X, Y, or Z um, and be able to kind of really dig into that. And so I really appreciate that about fiction. Awesome. Uh, well, I can't believe our time is already done, um, and uh, I've I've lost track of time, uh, in in uh, in many ways. So, um, I just want to thank you again um, for being on. And where might people be able to go and watch your talk, uh, your OSV talk? Yeah, it's at osvtalks.com, and it's called I think um, Transforming Parish Culture with Change or something. You just search Katie. Um, yeah. You'll find two Katie talks. There's another one, Katie Perry Jean McGrady. Um, but if you search change or Katie Hersing, you'll find it there. Yeah, I'll make sure to put the links in, in the in the notes uh, for the podcast. But thank you so much, Katie, uh, for coming on the show. Um, I think oftentimes we forget how important it is for us to wrestle and talk with these about these things for the simple fact of this is what we are supposed to be doing uh, each and every day as we're living out our life of discipleship. And we can't go, oh, well, I'm not a ministry leader or anything like that. So it doesn't apply to me. But the reality is it does apply to all of us because how we respond to those who are in leadership um, is, is huge uh, for Absolutely. whether or not we're, we're able to go out and, uh, and do the mission that Christ gave us. Uh, so, uh, but thank you. Thank you so much. But um, again, uh, everybody, Katie Herzing and uh, continue uh, to do whatever it takes so that together we can tell the master of death, not today. God bless everybody. So what might be some resolutions that you could take from this conversation today? Well, one of the first ones really is, you know, taking the suggestion that Katie had about the one idea or practice that she has always used for living out her life, but reading scripture every day. And in the process of doing that, also bringing that sense of humility about not presuming that you already know. And that's how we are able to then be humble enough to hear the witness of others. And that would be my second resolution. So first one suggestion, read scripture every day with an open heart. And then take that same openness and listen to the witness of others. And this can be something as simple as, can you tell me what you're thinking? Or can you tell me about where you're coming from? Instead of presuming that you know. This ability for us to be able to listen is going to be completely ground changing, you know, for us. And finally, the final thing that I would suggest is make space for the Holy Spirit in your life. Allow yourself the uncertainty of not knowing and entrust yourself to God. A beautiful uh, mantra that I use, which is from the Surrender Novena by Dom Dolindo Rutulo, is Jesus. I surrender it all to you. Take care of everything. So incorporate that into your day and allow the Holy Spirit to come and make himself present and guide you in all things. Thanks again for spending time with me today. If you have any suggestions for upcoming podcasts, 
please leave me a voicemail using the link in the podcast show notes. Or you can visit my website at sayyestoholiness.com or send me an email at christinasimmons at gmail.com. I look forward to the opportunity to continue the conversation we've begun here today. In the interim, please know my continued prayers for you and your loved ones, especially that each of us may continue to strive to do whatever it takes in order to grow in holiness as we tell the master of death, not today. I look forward to having a conversation with you again soon. God bless.